Welcome to The Creationist, a podcast about people who create. I'm your host, Steve Waxman. There's an old cliche that says that we all have a book inside of us. Well, for hockey author Kevin Shea, that actually means 17 books, with another couple on the way. In this episode, Kevin shares the story behind writing his first book, Center Ice, and how he got Wayne Gretzky to write the foreword. One day I get a phone call. I worked at a record company at the time. I got a phone call at the record company. And it was a guy who said, hi, Kevin? I said, yeah, how can I help you? I said, it's Wayne. I said, yeah, how can I help you, sir? No, it's Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, right. And I hung up. So I get a call back seconds later. I said, Kevin, it's Wayne Gretzky. I said, Leonard, another guy on staff who was always pulling stunts. Leonard, I know it's you. And I hung up again. The guy called a third time. Kevin, before you hang up, it's Wayne Gretzky. Here's my phone number. Call me back at that number. When you sit down to write, or do anything for that matter, the scariest part is the beginning. For a writer, that means staring at a blank page. To that end, I started my conversation with Kevin, asking him how he begins. So I start to structure it in my mind, first of all, is, is try and put together a, 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 a mental table of contents on how I'm going to put together various pieces of this. And then I start to do a ton of research to fill in those purported table of content pieces as we go along. So it all starts with just trying to get the, the, the skeleton of the book together in my mind and then how I'm going to move forward with it. And, and that's the way I start. So before, the, before you're looking at that blank screen, though, you've done some research, right? You've done some interviews. So do you, have, do you, do you turn on the computer thinking about, or turn on the computer having an idea of how you want to start? Do you have opening sentences in your head already? I always try and put together the opening chapter in my mind. Always do. Not necessarily word for word, but certainly the, the paraphrase of my mind to, to get things going. What I find would be a really dramatic sequence that would, would draw in the readers and still give some feeling as to who the subject was or what the subject was or whatever it happened to be. Give the book a little personality at that point and, and moving forward that way. So that opening page, that blank screen is is really an opportunity for me to, to kind of play with it. It changes as we go sometimes, but for the most part, the way I structure it in my head has already been predetermined. Right through to the end? No, not necessarily. Usually what I'll find is that as we go through, whether it be interviews or research or whatever, I'll find a, a really lovely way to, to wrap things up in something that was said, in something that I can can borrow from a conversation or from some research that I've done, and then I can use that as a, a chance to wrap up the whole piece at that point. Usually that comes as we go along. Sometimes I have to work at it. Sometimes it's just there and bang, aha moment, uh, and, and we find out the way we're going to close it. And then I have to build the closing uh, chapter around that. So one thing that's similar to songwriting, a question that's similar to songwriting, how do you know when you're done? I never do. I never do. I Once I've put the last period on that final chapter and I've proofread and I'm feeling comfortable, then I start doubting myself. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This just isn't going to work. Nobody's going to read this. Nobody's going to like this. Nobody. And I second-guess myself and I beat myself up until the editor comes back and said, oh, boy, oh, boy, I really like what you had to say. Let's move this or let's change that or whatever. But I still doubt myself every single time. How much input do you have into the artwork that goes into the book, whether it's the cover or what 
what goes on inside the book? It's changed from publisher to publisher. The, I wrote a book about Derek Sanderson, the uh, hockey player with the Boston Bruins in the 60s through the 70s. And we had, Derek and I had a chapter, or sorry, had a title that we were going to use against the wind. Kind of, first of all, he's very musical and I come from a musical background as well. It's a Bob Seger song that kind of identified his life and he really felt strongly towards it. So we wrote with that in mind. The publisher came back and said, uh-uh, crossing the line, and then went on and on from there. So crossing the line. Derek wasn't going for it, but I thought, ooh, actually, that's a whole lot better. And then the cover that we envisioned and tried to articulate to the publisher came back entirely different. Entirely different, but way better than we ever could have dreamt. Uh, a picture of, of uh, Derek standing in front of a stained glass window, a cigarette dangling from his lips, and his hands looking like a, a praying situation. And, and, uh, and it was a, a shot that was taken during his playing days, and it was exactly what we needed to define the book. And so we were delighted. In other cases, it's, it's my coming forward with some proposed ideas or photos or whatever, and the publisher saying, yeah, I really like that. You want that? You feel good about that one? Let's go with that one. Whatever. Almost every case has been my title, with the exception of the Sanderson one, and they nailed that one far better than I ever could. All right. So now let's go back to the beginning about, yeah. uh, you know, a little bit about your back history and your love of hockey. Oh, boy. Um, I laugh, but with a great deal of, of truism that I was a Leaf fan in utero. My father was a huge hockey fan. My mom, a little bit more of a passive hockey fan. My grandmother, my, my dad's mother, was a big, big hockey fan as well. Uh, it turns out I discovered many, 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 actually decades later, not years later, that in fact there's a a former Leaf who was a member of the family as well, but it's in our blood at that point, and I think that's part of it. I was an okay hockey player, played uh, played pretty competitively, uh, enjoyed playing, but through my actual playing career, my real passion was reading about, specifically about the Leafs, but everything I could pick up. My dad, God rest his soul, was just a, a saint in my eyes for a hundred reasons, but one was that from the time I was a young boy, he would put a he would pay in advance for a copy of the hockey news which came out every week at that point so when he would go into the drugstore to buy cigarettes or whatever it happened to be he'd say here's the money for the hockey news will you put my son's name on it put it under the counter he's going to come in later in this week well i was 7 years old going into the pharmacy and coming in and i, I came here to pick up my parcel and there for me every week was the hockey news. Read it cover to cover. I could tell you everything about the East Coast Hockey League, the International Hockey League, everything in the National Hockey League, who did the ads, who was in what. Uh, it wasn't until years later, probably three or four years later, that I realized that Dad had actually paid for those. I thought they were a gift for me some reason. Came in every week, there they were, free, can't get over it. So, uh, but I think that was part of the the fueling of the fire that that raged in my my heart for hockey at that particular time. So it was like that. My dream was always to go to Maple Leaf Gardens and watch a hockey game. And every year for Christmas, that was on my Christmas list. But I was growing up in Windsor, Ontario at the time, so it wasn't an easy, easy fix. First of all, A, you had to take a train, a bus, or drive up there. Maybe a hotel, although I had an aunt in the city at the time, in Toronto at the time. And then come back. 
but B, getting tickets. My folks had no idea how to get tickets. There's nothing like that at all. So every year, you know, I'd get some hockey socks and hockey stick and whatever it happened to be, but no hockey tickets. Went over to the Detroit Olympia and saw a couple of Red Wings games, but not until I was in my 20s. And it wasn't until I moved to Toronto when I was in my 30s that uh, I actually got a chance to see the Toronto Maple Leafs play. And I, I thought I was, in fact, I knew I was in Mecca. It was Nirvana for me at that time. So how about your love for writing? How did that begin? Wow. Uh, I'd always loved creative writing from the time I was in public school. But where it really took off was in university. I took a creative writing course. Wish I could remember her name. She's a very, very well-known novelist. She was my, uh, my instructor at the time, and I can't think of her name for the life of me right now. But anyway, I was in the creative writing course at uh, University of Windsor. And the first project that they came across and, and, and assigned to us was, here's a photo of a brook with a willow tree. Write an essay about the photo. And I wrote one, and it was really, really pedestrian. And the mark that I got was really, really pedestrian as well. The next assignment was, write something that you're passionate about. At the time, I was writing about, uh, I was actually working part-time at a radio station, and I loved radio like I loved hockey. So I wrote a story about CKL, CKLW Radio, which was the big radio station in Windsor at the time, broadcast over... <laughs> I think they boasted 36 states and three provinces, blah, blah, blah. It was huge top 40 radio station. So I wrote a piece inserting interviews and sound bites and everything else, you know, written sound bites, and, and uh, handed in very proudly and came back and I got a note, see me. And I think I got an F on it. See me. And I went to the teaching assistant and said, I don't understand. What, uh, what's that all about? And I said, look at Kevin. There's no way that the person who wrote about the willow tree is the same person who wrote this. You've clearly plagiarized the story. So I didn't plagiarize it. I wrote every word of it. I, I swear to God, I did. And there's just no way. And, and I explained it to myself and, and took the story to, uh, to the instructor. And she came back and said, I can see that a light went on when you were writing about the radio station that certainly didn't come on when uh, you wrote about the willow tree. So... I'm going to go back and mark it, and I got the, the A that I was hoping for. I think I got A+, plus actually. If I can segue. Um, so that same year, the assignment was to interview someone and write a story about it. So everybody aimed for the, the sky, and, and, and we're trying to get rock and roll stars or whatever it happened to be. I aimed a little bit lower I had just read that Bozo the Clown had uh, had resigned from the local radio or local TV station. Bozo the Clown. This was a huge story because we'd grown up with Bozo. So I interviewed the gentleman, a guy named Art Servi, who I was quite stunned to walk in and meet. And of course, he wasn't wearing the red nose and the white face paint. Anyway, I, I interviewed Art Servi and found out his backstory and why he was leaving and his feelings towards it. I wrote the story and submitted it and got a really good mark. The, uh, the school year was over, got my, got my credit, and then I got a package in the mail. I don't know when, probably August of that year. And uh, inside was a copy of a magazine with a paperclip on the top. And I opened the magazine to where the paperclip was, and there was a story that said, Bye Bye Bozo, with the, the byline, by Kevin Shea. It's like, oh my God, and a check for $50. I said, wait a minute. I can make money out of this? 
I just wrote from the heart. I wrote a story that I thought would uh, would engage people. And so sure enough, my professor had turned it along to a, a magazine, turned it uh, forward to a magazine called Toronto, sorry, Windsor This Month. And they thought enough of it to uh, to publish. And I was on my way. Just so that everybody knows, we are best friends. Yeah. And we're sort of connected with regards to that first book. Sure. So why don't you start telling the story of how you came to write that sure. first book? So I had written magazine articles. I had written newspaper columns, all these sorts of things, but uh, had never dreamed about writing a book by any means. Ne- had never even thought about it. And uh, you, Steve Waxman, and another dear friend of ours, Kim Cook, used to get together on a regular basis, have a bite to eat, solve the world's problems, have more laughs than should be legally allowed. And and every year we got together for a lovely Christmas dinner and exchange gifts as well. And so the uh, the Christmas of 1999, we got together at a lovely restaurant and it was time to exchange our gifts. And, and uh, we did exactly that. And when it was my turn to receive my gift, you, Steve, said, Kevin, Kim and I have gone together on the gift together and and here you go and pulled out this big box, this great big box. Well, my eyes popped out of my head. I couldn't figure out what the heck I was getting or what it could be that they would go in together on. Turns out it was your idea, Steve. And and what was inside was all kinds of things, uh, pads of paper and floppy disks. You have to remember the era and pens and pencils and, and a book called Writing for Dummies. And the two of you looked at me square in the eye and said, look, we've, we've heard you tell stories every time we get together, and you're going to write a book this year. I said, like, guys, I can't write a book. You're going to write a book this year. Sure enough, six months later, a, a publisher came forward and uh, offered me my first book deal on the condition that I could write a book in a month. I didn't know any better. I was working full-time at a record company at the time, and and we uh, had this offer, and and uh, they said, yeah, can you, so this is now June, I think, maybe July. And they said, can you write a book by August? And sure, of course I can. As soon as workday was over, I rushed home, worked as long as I could before I fell asleep on my computer and uh, was able to knock it off within a month. It was a, a story about uh, the Smythe family and their ties to Maple Leaf Gardens. The Smythes, Con Smythe, had, had founded Maple, the Toronto Maple Leafs and had overseen the construction of Maple Leaf Gardens. His son Stafford had owned the team during the late 60s and early 70s, and it was supposed to be handed down to the grandson of Con, Tom Smythe. Never got so far. He'd been a manager with the Toronto Marlboros hockey team, but that's as far as it went. But it was about the Smythe family and was lucky enough to to be able to write my first book, and there it was with my name on the front. You kind of jumped ahead, though, one part. How do you find a publisher? (laughs) <laughs> having never written a book before. Well, that's a good story too. Thank you, Steve. Well, actually, you helped me with that as well. I had no idea. I just, I had a story in my head about a, a family who uh, was based in Lucknow, Ontario, a, a Chinese immigrant family who had a restaurant there and and uh, they had 10 children. Three of the boys were phenomenal hockey players. They would have been, if I can parallel it, the Wayne Gretzky's of their time. And they had been invited to the Toronto Maple Leafs training camp in 1944. But they were only 14, 15, and 16 years old at the time. And yet here they are at Maple Leafs training camp. So I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, what a story this is. I thought, there's my book right then and there. So I put together a, a, a proposed chapter. And and uh, you and I went to 
wish I could remember the name of the bookstore too, but anyway, it was on uh, Young Street, just north of Bloor. Now it's a Starbucks. And we went through the various books that had anything to do with hockey and wrote down the names of the publishers and their addresses. And I sent my proposal off to every publisher you could imagine. And after a period of time, rejections or, <laughs> or, or uh, just nothing came coming back, but all of a sudden, Fenn Publishing, which was a brand new publishing company out of Bolton, Ontario, tied in with, with uh, a larger distribution company. But Fenn Publishing wanted to specialize in hockey books, and this laid it on their desk at just the right time. So I got a call from a guy named Jordan Fenn, the, the publisher. His father had run HB Fenn and had given Jordan the, the license to start his own, uh, his own imprint. And Jordan called me and said, look, Kevin, really like your writing like your your passion, don't want your book, but I think you'd be good for a book that uh, we've licensed and, or at least that we've uh, secured. And uh, that was the book about uh, the Smythe family that I inferred earlier. So now that you've got the deal and you've got one month to write it, how did you even start? Well, I started to interview. I, first of all, I knew a great deal about the Smythe family already. And I'd actually done some research for no apparent reason. So I had some things there, but I started with interviews with Tom Smythe, the grandson. It was a challenge because Tom had had 60-some some cancer surgeries on his jaw that made it very difficult for him to talk. It made it, his energy level was very, very low. So he, I couldn't have the extended interviews that I had hoped. I could knock him off three, four hour segments that way. It was more like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, although I could do them every couple of days. But again, I had a full-time job, so I wasn't able to do that. But it started off with the interviews. I talked to other people about the Smythe family, those who knew Stafford Smythe, those who had worked with Con Smythe, those who knew Tom Smythe. So I built a foundation, built a foundation around it, along with uh, Tom's memories as well. And I just started. I knew where I wanted to go, as I mentioned earlier, how I built the uh, the table of contents in my mind. I was going to start with Con Smythe, work through Stafford, and then get to Tom, and that's the way it took place. I didn't have a whole lot of time to move around or whatever, but that's the way it went. And it felt pretty good when I was done. So do you remember holding the book for the first time? Sadly, I do, Steve. <laughs> it looked amazing. I mean, there's this beautiful book printed on blue ink with blue ink. The front cover is white with lovely photos of the Smythe family and Maple Leaf Gardens. There's the title and I was able to secure Wayne Gretzky to write the forward because he had attended his very first hockey game with his grandmother at Maple Leaf Gardens. And he'd also been the recipient of the Conn Smythe Trophy, his most valuable player in the playoffs in the National Hockey League. So by fluke, I had a contact that way. And sure enough, I got Gretzky to write the forward. So there was the book, um, Center Ice. And there's by Tom Smythe, forward by or Tom Smythe with Kevin Shea, forward by Wayne Gretzky. So there are the two biggest names in sports that I could think of at that time, Smythe and Gretzky, and my name on the same cover, and I couldn't believe it. The difficult part was, once I cracked the spine of that first, uh, first copy that I had, I realized, wait a minute, hang on here. I started to read, and, and there were all kinds of typos in it. So... The very first page had a picture of Jean Beliveau of the Montreal Canadiens hoisting the Conn Smythe Trophy after winning the Stanley Cup in 1966. But it said John Beliveau, J-O-H-N, rather than J-E-A-N, 
oh, wait a minute, I'm a stickler for details and really anal about that stuff. There's no way I made that error. So I started to flip through quickly, read the book from cover to cover, and I'm in tears. I, I couldn't believe how many errors there were. For example, Tom Smythe's best friend was a guy named Doug, and all through the book, he was Dog. And the J.P. Bickle trophy given to valued uh, employees of Maple Leaf Gardens was the J.P. Pickle trophy. So I was horrified. 11 o'clock that night, called the publisher and said, stop the presses. We've got we've to scrap what we've got here. Kevin, it's too late. It's in the stores. But don't worry. We'll get it on the second printing, which we never got to. So the book went out and uh, had all of these errors in it. And the reviews for the book were pretty good. Good story, but too bad this guy can't write, or too bad this guy can't spell, rather, or what the heck is wrong with getting a good editor or a proofreader? Or So I was horrified that that was mentioned in every single review that we had. Not that we had that many, but we had enough. It wasn't until years later that he admitted that uh, that there wasn't time to have an editor. I'm talking about Jordan Fenn now. That, that there wasn't time to have an editor because it was so tight to printing that he had just run it through spell check and inadvertently had accepted things that, uh, or or not, that were in the book, and that's why we had Dog and Pickle and John. So it was <laughs> it was a terrible start, but nevertheless, it was my first book, and while I, while I can't say it's my proudest moment, the fact that I had a book made it a proud moment. How did you get Gretzky to write the foreword? That's another crazy story. So there's a friend of mine named Bruce Barker, and Bruce is a, a radio guy in the Toronto area who knows a lot of people, and uh, and because he's a bigger guy, he's not easily forgotten. So Bruce had mentioned to me many times that he knew Gretzky, and I just kind of rolled my eyes secretly and and thought, yeah, right, okay. And uh, and sure enough, Gretzky came to town one day, and and Bruce had recorded a, a little interview with him, and and it started off with, hey, big guy, how's it going? Wayne Gretzky had picked uh, Bruce out in the crowd, and his first his first words to the media scrum were to Bruce Barker. So I approached Bruce and said, "Look, I'd like to get uh, Gretzky to write the the uh, forward to this book. Can you help me?" He put me in touch with Gretzky's personal publicist. So I wrote a letter. I don't even know that email. I guess email was around for sure, but I didn't have the guy's email address. I had a, a, an address. So I wrote a letter to the guy thinking that it's a long shot, but I'll try. One day I get a phone call. I worked at a record company at the time. I got a phone call at the record company. And it was a guy who said, hi, Kevin? I said, yeah, how can I help you? I said, it's Wayne. I said, yeah, how can I help you, sir? No, it's Wayne Gretzky. I said, yeah, right. And I hung up. So I get a call back seconds later. I said, Kevin, it's Wayne Gretzky. I said, Leonard, another guy on staff who was always pulling stunts. Leonard, I know it's you. And I hung up again. The guy called a third time. Kevin, before you hang up, it's Wayne Gretzky. Here's my phone number. Call me back at that number. I called back the number. Wayne Gretzky. Oh, my God. Wayne. He said, it happens often. Don't apologize. He said, so how can I help you out? I said, well, listen, I'm, I'm writing a book about, uh, about Maple Leaf Gardens and the Smythe family. I'd love you to write the foreword. He said, okay, give me a hint verbally of what you'd like, and I'll get it done. I think he had a ghostwriter. In fact, I know he had a ghostwriter and came back with this amazing forward to the book. And I asked his permission to use it. He said, of course, to have his name on the front and to use it. Of course, Kevin, send me a copy when you're done. 
And there we are. So the Gretzky thing happened completely out of left field within the course of that month, if you can believe that. It happened from a letter written to a phone call to many hang-ups to it being submitted. I was delighted and I'm still thrilled. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Creationist. If you'd like to find out more about Kevin Shea and the books that he writes, go to kevinsheahockey.com. If you'd like to comment on this episode, offer suggestions for future episodes, or just say hi, please email thecreationistpodcast at gmail.com. And please don't forget to subscribe to The Creationist and rate us on whatever platform you're listening on. And if I could ask one last favor, please share this podcast with any of your friends who you think might be interested. I'm Steve Waxman, and I created this podcast.